Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 191. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Freaky Magazine. I contribute something to every issue of Freaky, so please check it out. Hey kids, have you read Freaky? The magazine of weird humor for freaks like you. Freaky Magazine is a way out collection of weirdo comics, kooky gags, photo funnies, social satire, and surreal collage. 52 pages of insanity in the tradition of magazines of yore like Cracked, Plop, and Zap. Special offer for Fun Ideas listeners, get a free sample copy in the mail, made of smelly newsprint and smudgy ink the old-fashioned way. Just message your mailing address to theslowpoisoner.com gmail.com that's the slow poisoner at gmail.com while supplies last on sale now is mark arlo's latest book called pac-man the first animated show based upon a video game this book tells the story of pac-man phenomenon and goes through the entire history of the hanna-barbera animation studios the history of the video game Pre-Pac-Man, the history of Pac-Man, the character, the video game, the spin-offs, the merchandise, and the anime TV series. Each and every episode of the classic 1980 series is covered and examined. Plus, Mark Arnold covers how Pac-Man has been honored on various anniversaries, including the 40th anniversary in 2021. A fun read for casual and hardcore Pac-Man and video game fans alike, featuring many character model sheets and other images. Available online through Bear Manor Media, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Get your copy today. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by PopOptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. As the pandemic is now lifting somewhat, I am making more personal appearances at shows in Oregon and California. Check my Facebook page as to where I might be next, usually working with Lee's Comics. I'm getting closer to finishing my Mad and My Turtles books. Another Monkeys book is on the horizon, as well as a book about TV animation studios. And look for more articles from me in Back Issue, Alter Ego, and Hogan's Alley, and various guest appearances on other podcasts, including those by Ed Rising, Hudson Ranney, Dennis Ball, Phil Hall, and others. My Pac-Man book is my latest release. 
Look for my Disney book and my Warren Kramer book coming soon. On today's show, we have a writer who's written such books as the Starsky and Hutch Trivia Quiz Book and the MASH Trivia Quiz Book. Here he is, Christopher DeRose. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and it's another episode of Fun Ideas Podcast. And today on the show, I have a book author who's written a couple books that are interesting for, to me and a few other books that I'll ask about. Uh, his name is Christopher DeRose, and welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Okay. Uh, where do you hail from? I always ask this because... I hail from Los Angeles, California. Oh, okay. So that's easy. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm in Oregon up in Springfield. Oh, there you go. But I'm oh, my... Cal- yeah, there you go. But I'm a California native anyway. <laughs> oh. so, uh, mainly Northern California, but I've been to Southern California many, many, many times. So, mm-hmm. um, all right. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you became a book author. And then we'll kind of delve into the books you've written a little sure. more deeply. Um I started as a musician more than anything else uh, from teens into uh, until about 27. I was doing the the rock stuff. (laughs) And uh, then I decided to pursue the writing full time. I was doing both at the same time for a while. Um, But at this point, I went, you know, I don't know if I want to start another band when I'm 27 or join another band when I'm 27. It starts to get a little long in the tooth. For, for certain hard rock attitudes, I guess. Right. Um, and so I just decided, screw it, I'll just be an author full time. And that's and I still do music. It's just uh, more ambient and stuff like that. Hmm. When you were in the rock, what, what, what instruments did you play? I started on drums, uh, but then uh, I kind of got frustrated really quick with it. <laughs> uh, and I went to guitar, had some pretty decent uh, years with that and then right around the time the shredder movement really started to take hold I had to kind of go uh, how can I pursue this and still get work steadily and so the only way I could really figure out to do that would be a bass player yeah. and besides you know John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin Steve Harris of Iron Maiden these guys could be heard they're great bass players they're great songwriters mm-hmm. so that's where I took that and uh I kind of plunked around on keyboards for a little while too, which is what I compose with mainly right now. But um, bass was uh, the last instrument that I probably spent the most time on. Hmm. Were you in bands or were you just doing session work or both? A little bit of everything, Um, whether it was someone's demo or whatever, or someone uh, who I knew pretty well that had a set list that had a demo uh, or had songs on their demo that I was already familiar with. Sometimes that's hidden if, you know, their bass player couldn't make it or whatever, Mm -hmm. Um, wherever it took me. And uh, for a fair amount of time, I was doing some covers in bands as well as originals. And that in itself is a really good education too. Mm -hmm. Did you uh, ever record with anybody really well-known, really famous? Uh... Not, not especially Um, a lot. I was pretty peripheral with, uh, you know, uh, brushes with fame. Um, and 98% of the time they were, they were great. Uh, even when the bands that, uh, were competing with mine got famous and mine didn't, or as, <laughs> as, uh, more famous than I thought they deserved at the time, because I was, I was a pretty egotistical guy <laughs> was. <laughs> so, um, now as an author, um, uh, did you always write the same type of work? It, it seems like you 
done two nonfiction works and I'll just introduce them. You can give the proper titles. One's about Starsky and Hutch and one's about MASH. Yeah. And then uh, it seems like you've done a lot of fiction work. So did you normally do more fiction or nonfiction or combination? Uh, typically I started in fiction, um, whether that's novels or short stories. I was doing that pretty much back and forth um, and kind of getting a little bit more uh, success in the way that I wanted to see it than I was in bands Hmm. Um, because I don't know if I'd want to be where I am now playing the same songs I composed when I was 21. (laughs) I don't know about that Um, but with the MASH book and the Starskin Hutch trivia guide or trivia quiz book is that I just I wanted to do something with MASH first Hmm. that was the first one that was that was done and I wanted uh, to work with Ben at Bear Manor Books again, because he's so great. Uh, and I was able to kind of get my son in on the act for that as well. Uh, and so he's my co-author on the MASH Trivia Quiz book. Hmm. Um, he was uh, 16, 17 at the time. Uh, and uh, it was a really special thing to share with him because he enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. My mom enjoyed it. Everybody in his family grew up with it. And so now he was as well. And I thought that was really, really cool. And he, he kind of sank his teeth into it for the, all the weird, uh, you know, some of the hardest ones are the ones he came up with. <laughs> uh, and uh, Starsky and Hutch. Uh, wow, what an impression that that show made. Uh, because if you look on some of the writing credits and directing credits, you know, you've got Michael Mann uh, writing two or three of the, the, the episodes. Um, when you could tell when certain directors, especially if it was David Soul or Paul Michael Glazer, you could see the difference in their approach to the show, which just made me like it even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted to do something that as, as, as you get older, you kind of want to look back, not in anger, but in retrospective and maybe honor these things that, that have made you who you are. And that's what I did with that. Um, for Starsky and Hutch, it was the same thing. It was just a little less immediate than the MASH book because MASH went on for 10, 11 seasons and uh, Starsky and Hutch went on for four. Mm. And one was an hour long drama. One was a half hour dramedy. Right. So just uh, it, the Starsky and Hutch book isn't quite as, as big as the MASH book, but I think it's just as comprehensive given what you have to work with. Yeah. On, on both of these books, are they... Uh just questions or does it give historical information and episode guides and things like that as well what's what's the contents i think it's more of just a quiz book that actually sort of acts as a episode guide Mm -hmm. because uh in both of the books i sequence them in order according to what imdb has Mm. uh rather than because some were aired out of uh the shooting sequence and so every once in a while if that was something that was for some reason prominent, I would note that in, you know, maybe a small line of trivia before going on uh, to the questions, but it's basically episode by episode with some of the supporting cast mentioned. If we see some notice, uh, like Anthony Kiedis's dad is in two or three episodes as a, as a mob enforcer. And he plays it fantastic, and his name is Blackie. So how you know how much cooler can you get with that? <laughs> um, and you see all these, you know, like John Ritter, 
and all these all these people who would go on to uh, greater things and far more reaching than just a, a single spot on an episode of a crime drama. Um, and it, it was just, it was fun to be able to do something like that. I originally would have wanted to do something a little bit more comprehensive about the making of it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's more of cast notes of, oh, you've seen this person in this, this person's this person's uh, uncle or father. Uh, you know, this was the lowest rated episode because of, you know, just whatever reason. <laughs> um, that's the kind of note that I put into it. But then it's how many shots does so-and-so fire at such and such? Mm-hmm. That's the kind of trivia that I tried to do with the questions rather than um, just dialogue driven questions or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, how'd you come up with your questions? Was it just because you've seen every episode so many times? We'll stick with like this. Let's like stick with Starsky and Hutch. So you're not jo- jockey. Sure, that's right fine. Over. No, that, yeah. that's fine. That's, and that's the latest one to come out. So, okay. I'm and then we'll go back to the other one. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, it's, uh, like I said, it's doing kind of, I'm sorry, could you repeat the question? <laughs> Um, in coming up with your questions, I mean, did you come up with your oh. questions just by watching them or uh, did you have, well, I'm probably asking the question differently this time, but I mean, that was the original question. I mean, how did you come up yeah. with your questions essentially? Um, I wanted to approach it from everything of, from really easy, mm-hmm. like in which hand does so-and-so hold their weapon, uh, who speaks first, that kind of thing that's a little softer, but I'm a geek. I'm a hardcore geek. Uh, Star Wars class of 77, that level kind of geek. Um, and so some of the questions get even pretty crazier, like maybe uh, there's one Star Scanage episode that there is an ungodly amount of ammunition shot by, this, by the villain. And I make that a question. If you want to count all 28 shots or whatever it was, which is what I did, uh, that's up to you. Uh, but I wanted to do something that wasn't just dry. I wanted to do something fun, but something like the questions, like what I was talking about, the 28 shots. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you don't know it, I don't want it to ruin the love of the show yeah. and the reason why you bought the book, which mm-hmm. is because we have this sort of, uh, if you're buying this book, we have a communal understanding of, of where we are culturally um, we're, how old we are basically. And, um, but that doesn't mean that we can't have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the questions, the approaches had to get a little bit more cut and dried with some of the episodes of Starsky and Hutch, because you can't feel right about asking questions about a show regarding child abuse. Mm. It just felt it's, it's hard to feel motivated and having fun and sharing this with the reader <laughs> Uh, when, you know, someone's, you know, doing something, whether that or someone who didn't deserve to die dies, which happens. Right. Uh, I wanted first and foremost for it to be fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's mainly how you have it organized is just episode by episode. Uh, yep. Do you have them go from easy to hard or do you just have a, a smattering of questions that kind of go all over the map? It kind of goes, I try not to go too far over the map. I try not to just go really easy to incredibly hard. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that there's a couple of left turns in that that are pretty hard. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I tried to sprinkle in, you know, 
five easy, five intermediate, maybe three or four harder ones. Because after a while, I also know that people are going to go, I don't, I can't remember that. And I don't <laughs> want, to, I don't want the reader to give me a bad review because I asked too many hard questions. So right. I wanted, you know, uh, I wanted it to be at least accessible. And even if you didn't understand, if you didn't get the, the answer right, at least you're still having fun, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I guess the, the main question is, uh, why Starsky and Hutch? I mean, I know it was a popular show. Uh, it was considered at the time to be the most violent show. I don't know if that's true, but that's how they used to promote it. Sure. Uh, um, and uh, I guess we're like roughly the same age. So, you know, it's like it was on in the 70s, 74 to 78, I believe, is the years it ran mm-hmm. roughly. And um just tell me your love and the reason why why that show over similar or even different type shows at that time. Uh, you know, I actually kind of thought about that when I was writing this because I think it goes into being a, a self-confessed geek. You just sort of glom onto certain cultural things. Mm-hmm. And Starsky and Hutch, for some reason, fell into that niche with me straight out of the gate. I don't remember ever not liking the show. Mm-hmm. I've never, I don't remember ever not knowing about it. Um, and as a writer, I can look back and go, that probably had something to do with what I'm writing now in terms of how I understand story dynamic, um, book ending uh, something with a one kind of humor and then maybe a bittersweet kind of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I really think it was a show that for all the the things that were going on behind the scenes that were kind of chaotic, I think that they all, it came from a place of caring about what they were doing. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of passion impresses itself on, on the viewer. Um, and it can be anywhere from nostalgia for just, you know, you don't have to be a writer to appreciate it. Um, and, but also you see the beginnings of other people's careers and like I said, Michael Mann and the seismic uh, effect on culture he had. I think all of those things sort of came together and it, yet some of the episodes don't play so hot now. <laughs> um, and I know that when it was being aired, I, uh, there was a lot of criticism for the violence. And if you look at it, I think it helps to be from the generation that remembers it when it was first run to now, because you can see, yeah, maybe emptying your service pistol isn't a good idea (laughs) in a residential area Mm -hmm. when the person in the car is driving off and driving erratically anyway, because they're trying to get away. You know, it's stuff like that. And you can kind of see now what some of the hubbub was about. And, you know, yeah, that's, I can kind of see how that, yeah, that's that was an awful fast draw that Starsky pulled on that one guy, you know, uh, and they don't always go by the book. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's for the greater good, mm-hmm. but then you get into that slippery ethical. Uh, is that still OK? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I think the two leads really cared about it. And I think it I think that shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, even maybe when they weren't as thrilled with it as as they wanted to be, um, 
there's a lot of charm to their their own dynamic with each other mm-hmm. uh which you uh, you know the buddy cop thing is is kind of a almost a comedy trope at this point right if it's not already really um but those guys seem to you know kind of bring that from the dragnet era of tough guy into something that's a little more modern a little less stodgy right you know something a little less than what your parents would have been watching you would have been watching you know your parents would be watching dragnet you know which is kind of a dry uh, procedural drama it has its place but i would rather watch starsky and hutch <laughs> right <laughs> well you, you mentioned it uh, is like a comedy trope now i mean of course they made the uh starsky and hutch movie that was a comedy i mean yeah. i don't know if your book delves into that or no. street strictly it's a tv series okay good uh <laughs> But um, do you think that's the reason why, <coughs> excuse me, why they took that approach? Because it's kind of become a, a cliche, for lack of a better term, or, you know, that um, type of show? Yeah, but, you know, you see, the, you see the leads in the movie, and you totally see how that got greenlit, like, right out of the gate. Yeah. Um, and having said that, I'm glad the original stars made an effort, or it made a, a, a cameo at the end of the movie spoilers sorry yeah well Um, (laughs) it's been out a few years but yeah exactly i know um but i saw it and i guess it came from a spot of affection Mm -hmm. i just didn't see the heart in it and maybe i'm being too maybe i'm expecting too much out of that kind of a, a comedy um but it seemed like you can do things with a good heart and have it not make fun of what the source material is. And if you want to tweak the nose of the TV show, I totally understand why. Mm-hmm. Because some of that stuff, you, you, you can't just let go under the radar. You have to address it because if you mm-hmm. don't, you're going to need to explain why. Right. Um, but it just kind of seemed like it, eh, when I saw it, it you, know, <laughs> you know, the TV show had some humor to it. Um, some a, a couple of episodes just kind of went straight off into comedic, you know, comedic spots, but mm-hmm. that was fine. Uh, it was just the one episode, and you know that's all you had to worry about. Uh, but with the movie, it just it seemed like it came from a place of wouldn't it be funny if we dot 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 right? And we're going to make fun of the '70s and the technology and the big the headphones with the four antennas sticking out of it because isn't that funny um i would have liked it to come from a more subtle place mm-hmm. um rather than just oak board delivery of every joke it, it could have been any other prime comedy you know uh, you mm-hmm. know it could have starred anybody and it could have have it had, it could have been given you know the uh the 70s treatment but I think it could have been done in a better way that the humor could have been smarter. Right. Yeah. Um, it is kind of silly in places. It's a little <laughs> but... silly in places, but also you got to, I'm completely understanding of the fact that that's very much a movie of its own times. Right. You know, it may not be all that great, but that's what we had to shop from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that was what a, that's what a buddy cop comedy movie was then. Yeah. Um, so now going back to the original series um it's been a while since i've watched 
episodes and certainly chronologically. So I assume you tried to watch them kind of chronologically to oh, yeah. kind of, you know, see, oh, this is the first appearance of this. This would be a good question or something. Yeah. Um, looking back on it, uh, did do you feel that the show held up all four seasons or did it kind of slip by the end and it was getting too silly or pedestrian or whatever at the end? I think the fourth season the wheels are wobbling quite a bit. <laughs> uh, quite a bit. Okay. Um, I know that there were a lot of things going on behind the scenes that affected some of it. David Soule was injured, which is why he's now wearing bowling shirts in season four, because it's covering the brace in his back. Hmm. Um, I know that the approach that Paul Michael Blazer wanted to take was maybe not quite so heavy um, but I don't think they wanted to go quite so far off the rails, you know, as sometimes they did, where it was almost like just satire. Mm -hmm. It was, they were going to kind of going, this may not have much further left to it. Why don't we at least have a little fun with it? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you have diamond smuggling in, in some episodes and you have, they, uh, and we don't, for some of these, we don't even have to go into season four. You know, they're on Voodoo Island, which was originally Playboy Island, <laughs> um, which I think they filmed partially in Hawaii, um, if not completely, because everyone was filming in Hawaii at the time. And it's yeah. it was gorgeous scenery. Mm -hmm. um, but every once in a while. You kind of go, I think we're kind of slipping here, uh, especially in season four. It's <laughs> it has some really good episodes, some very solid directing. Um, but it doesn't really click into like season two when things really started to click. Mm -hmm. uh, and the leads also started to have some input on where they wanted to see their character arc to go in this episode. Um, and they were both really smart guys. Uh, it wasn't just, you know, stereotypical meathead action figures. <laughs> you know, they they had ideas that they wanted to express uh, of their own characters as well as story dynamics. And I think this, that made the show stronger in as much as it also made it weaker. Mm -hmm. um, looking back on it, do you think it would have made it into a fifth season or was it just too far gone and too too far down the ratings? Doing <sighs> doing some deep dive on it during the writing of the of, of the book, because you watch an episode and you kind of have some sort of trivial question. And you want to chase it down a rabbit hole. And then three hours later, you're watching another completely episode, completely different episode. <laughs> and you're chasing a completely different lead, uh, which I, that's kind of the geek in me kind of going, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I want to see this have a deeper, um, I, I, I want to say deeper meaning, but that's not quite what I mean. Um, because sometimes the episodes were just really, uh, they, they had the, the characters, but they didn't have the cast. Mm -hmm. And so once you started getting into episodes, especially like one of my favorites is, is the psychic mm -hmm. really strong episode. That's a Michael Mann episode. Uh, and that's that show running on all cylinders, full speed ahead. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the shootout, that's something else where it's, it takes place. It's a bottle episode. It takes place in a restaurant <laughs> and that's it. Mm -hmm. You may have different parts of the restaurant shown, 
but you're in a restaurant for all virtually all 26 minutes, whatever it was back then. Um, so I think they, they said what they could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I know Paul Michael Glazer became increasingly vocal about his, his disillusion with the, not just the show, but Hollywood in general. And that was starting to turn a lot of people off. And even if it went to five seasons, I think the closest they ever would have been able to get to was something that was floated, but I don't think it was ever taken seriously, where Starsky dies Hmm. and his young brother takes his place. And we do meet his brother, and I think it is season four. Hmm. And maybe that's where it was going to go, just in case they wanted to kind of see what the reception of it was. But you killed Dave Starsky. Right. <laughs> that's half. That's half of the reason you're watching the show. Right. Literally. Mm-hmm. Um, to do the research for this book, uh, did you interview any of the stars or anything like that? Or no, I I really wanted to do a behind the scenes created thing uh, initially before I did the trivia book, but William Blinn, the creator, was gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bernie Hamilton, who played Captain Dobie, was gone. Uh, David Soul and um, Paul Michael Glazer both weren't being rude about it, but they had kind of made it seem known around the fandom anyway, that they would talk about it on their terms. So I didn't want to bug them. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly I didn't want to do that and then maybe get some sort of belligerence back and that's just going to ruin everything for me. Not that I would have, but that's the cynic in my head going, <laughs> you don't want to upset these guys. You really, you know, this, right. um, but I did look into uh, the beginnings of what's the, uh, the show was originally supposed to be called uh, Nightside, which mm-hmm. was these two undercover cops that you all you saw was the night shift. Mm-hmm. But then it was going to be too expensive because it was all night shoots. Mm-hmm. And then um I think someone from ABC called William Blinn and said, do you have anything for a 45 minute long cop drama? And he said, I think I might. Mm-hmm. And they shot the, the pilot, which in reruns wasn't rerun as often for some reason, hmm. but maybe because it was a pilot. I don't know. Um, but uh, once that hit, it was, it was uh, off to the races and there were two, officers uh undercover cops who in 1975 wrote a a book and i get into this a little bit i didn't want to get too much into this in the book uh they wrote a a book called cop team and they were sort of like starsky and hutch in new york Hmm. and it predates the show and there's a little uh i think there's a little exaggeration on both sides about how much was used and who how much wasn't used from uh this book Mm -hmm. but there was a settlement to the officers who inspired it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they kind of just didn't look back and they just established it under its own mythology. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, these may be questions in the book, but I'm going to ask this just out of informational <laughs> reasons. I'll see uh, what I can do. I don't know that much about Starsky and Hutch other than it was on and I would watch it occasionally. It was never... Uh, you know, apparently a strong enough fanboy. Um, in fact, I probably 
didn't see it really until like the second or third season and you know even and uh then saw it later in reruns on occasion so um i've always been a fan of both the actors because david soul has done other stuff uh like here come the brides and uh paul michael glazers and fiddler on the roof and different things like that um which i was going to ask you i'll ask you right now do you delve into other things in their careers like david soul's singing career or anything or is it strictly about the show uh, no, I tried to give a little bit of a biography of um, a very brief one mm-hmm. uh, because there was a, there's a lot of stuff out there online and I kind of was going, I don't want people to open the book and go, well, I already knew this from what I Googled this morning. Yeah. Um, so I tried to give just a, a very treetops uh, version of uh how they found their way into the role. Um, but I tried not to give past much, you know, like in their, some of the credits. Uh, I do that with William Blinn as well. Um, mm-hmm. But for the most part, I just wanted it to, I, if I couldn't add anything new, I didn't want to just end, you know, add something for repetition's sake. Right. Okay. And, um, so, but the question I was going to ask, uh, and if it's a trivia question, well, I'll spoil one in the book. But uh, I'm I'm curious: uh, was uh, were Paul Michael Glazer and David Soul the original uh, choices for the roles, or uh, were there other people? Uh, that's not a trivia question in the book. That would have been something because the book would just be stuff that's in the episode. Okay. Not necessarily hard background. Okay. Um, no, I don't think there was. I think. Uh, I read an interview or watched an interview on YouTube, The Wonders of YouTube, Mm -hmm. uh, of this episode of, uh, it was some cinematic society, I maybe film, I don't remember, Uh, but it was an interview with uh, Paul Michael Blazer, as well as William Blinn, and I think a few others, Uh, but there's a fascinating story about how uh, Paul Michael Paul Michael Glazer was auditioning for Starsky and he was breaking walnuts in his fist. <laughs> and that was one of the dynamics that I guess attracted the, the casting directors. And I always thought that was an interesting story because you don't hear that. That's pretty hardcore stuff, <laughs> uh, especially with how you see Starsky evolve. He's not really a walnut cracking in the fist kind of guy. <laughs> he's not afraid to get physical, but he's not like, you know, henchman <laughs> material. So it sounds like they had them in mind. Now, did both actors want to do episodic TV or not at that point in their careers? I think they saw that as the next logical step. I don't want to put words in their mouth, but it seemed like everything that they'd been doing and David Soul had just been in, oh, fandom is going to kill me if I get this wrong. I think it was Magnum Force mm-hmm. where he plays a dirty cop mm-hmm. and he does it really well. Uh, and so I think they saw this as enough of a difference of, even though it was cop show for David soul. Yeah. He did Magnum force, but whatever, he's a good cop here and it's a different kind of cop show. I mean, I think the only other one that I can toss out at the same time might have been SWAT. Mm -hmm. It was as violent. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but then you have stuff like the Mod Squad before mm-hmm. it and the Rookies, where you don't really get a lot of gunplay. So I think that maybe they both saw it as, 
well, yeah, it's a cop show, but it's a different kind. So let's give this a shot. Mm-hmm. And I think that, especially with Paul Michael Blazers wanting to be a director, mm-hmm. I think that probably worked best for him uh, to achieve a more hands-on approach with the show that he was, I, I think he was looking for. Yeah. And uh, like yourself, you said you worked in music a number of years. Mm-hmm. And then David Soul, he had an actual number one hit. But was he trying to pursue a, a, a music career or was it just kind of a fluky offshoot of being a TV star? Because it seemed like everybody used to put out an album back in the 60s and 70s. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Especially the hit the hit TV show. Yo, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he put out more than one album. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he had a couple of hits. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, he sings one or two of them in episodes of Starsky and Hutch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it was sort of like he wanted to be a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted to be, I think, more than anything, he wanted to be taken seriously as a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe because he had already seen the liability of what good looks can be. He used to wear a mask when he was, you know, starting out and everything. Uh because he wanted to be known just for the music. Yeah. Um, just on its own merits rather than, well, yeah, of course he sings well because he's a star. And <laughs> of course he got a record contract because he's a star. Yeah. And like what you said, everybody and their dog had an album out nearly literally. I'm sure yeah. that there was some Disney store dog like Rin or uh, some, along the lines of Rin Tin Tin who probably did have an album out. Right. Uh, you know, well, the cast of Hogan's Heroes had one. So, yep. I mean, it's it wasn't anything new. Um, and you had soundtracks dating back to the 40s and 50s. So it wasn't unusual. But I think that especially as the more cynical the 70s became, the more of a jaundiced eyes people were kind of casting to uh, celebrities who genuinely had multiple abilities uh, not just as a writer, director, or whatever, but as a songwriter, a performer, uh, yeah. an actor, you could do all those things. And not all that far removed from that era, you had to do everything. Yeah. You know, you had to sing, you had to dance. You know, how many sitcoms coming out of the 40s and 50s had episodes where someone's singing? Right. Or, you know, <laughs> something like that. And they had their own independent success with that sometimes before the show that they were on, mm-hmm. but they always had to have some sort of song or dance. You know, the big show is on this weekend guys. And, you know, on uh, Petticoat junction, you know, you've got the, the charity event and stuff like that. So you've got to hear people singing. You got to see them dance. <laughs> uh, and all the way up to like shows like Alice where, you know, all of them were singing and dancing at one point. Mm-hmm. Well, de- definitely, you know, and using that as an example, you like Linda Lavin had a long stage career and things mm-hmm. like that prior to getting into situation comedy. So, <laughs> you know, I get it. You know, you want to keep, you know, the, the, the one that actually shocked me back in the day is uh, Ken Berry, because I knew him just from being on F Troop and uh, Mayberry and uh, Mama's Family. And then I found out, he actually was a good song and dance man. And he actually is really, or was really skilled, you know, and now you can look that stuff up, look up Hollywood palace or whatever. And you see him doing these incredible dancing feats and stuff like that, which 
I didn't know about when I was a well, kid. Well, at, yeah. at the time you had the variety shows like Carol Burnett, which he was on. Yeah. Um, and they would, they became syndicated at, at half an hour, but that cut out the musical guest and two or three skits. Right. Um, and the musical guest was cut just because they couldn't afford or they couldn't maybe track down everybody who they would have owed money to have the Jackson five appearance broadcast rebroadcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would see Ken Berry singing with Carol Burnett mm-hmm. and it wasn't all that unusual. I think it seems almost even more cynical to see someone now do that, like on yeah. dancing with the stars <laughs> or whatever, Yeah, you know, because sometimes, well, sometimes it's deserved, but, uh we're not i don't think we're going to see the the variety show thing the donnie marie show Mm -hmm. uh captain and tenille and i'm really dating myself by saying all these things that's okay i watched them all (laughs) uh you know but there aren't any anymore i mean the only the only variety show now really is snl you know and and that's kind of a loose definition of it because you know it's basically a comedy sketch show with a music act that performs a couple songs, you know, over a 90 minute period, but it's not the traditional way per se, where you have like um, a, a, a number of, cele- well, occasionally they do, but in general, they don't have a number of celebrities on the show, you know, doing different things in each skit and blah, blah, blah. It's usually just one guest host. And then, yeah you you don't see him the next week you know it's right. yeah else. exactly i mean you knew <sighs> who was going to be the season or the at least that season's regulars or semi-regulars on any of the other ones yeah um, because they were always on yeah and the good shows especially like i'm going to cite carol burnett again is that everybody kind of knew their specialty and even though they may be called on to do more, they were comfortable with each other. I don't remember any like poisonous rumors about Tim Conway hating uh, <laughs> any of, you know, Vicky Lawrence or whatever, the feud between so-and-so. It's like, you don't hear that. You hear it on I Love Lucy. Yeah. But you don't hear it necessarily on, on the 70s shows. But then... and. In the 70s, like Paul Lynn would get his his Halloween special or so-and-so would get their Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of thing just isn't around anymore. And right. <laughs> maybe that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah, they got to the point where they got progressively stupider. I mean, with that, the concept. I mean, I mean initially you would have um, somebody that actually had a little bit of talent hosting a variety show like say dean martin you know but then it descended over the years where like the last ones were like the brady bunch variety show or pink lady and jeff which they might have had a hit in japan but they couldn't speak a lick of english so you know why are they hosting a show (laughs) you know things like that but yeah well there's a reason why the starlight vocal bands show only lasted a few episodes Mm -hmm. uh once you start giving the one hit wonders their own shows Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. I think you've kind of lost, lost sight of what you're doing. Right. Just a little bit. Yeah. Um, so we kind of uh, digressed all over the map, I guess, whatever, bring it back in. Uh, one thing I wanted to know about Starsky and Hutch, I mean, obviously I mentioned the movie with Ben Stiller and uh, uh, Owen Wilson, but uh, 
did they ever want to do a TV reunion movie or were they just over it? Because, you know, a lot of people came back of different series. That was like a big 80s thing. You know, yeah. it's like, let's bring back the original cast and have them do one more episode. You know, right. did, was that ever discussed with Starsky and Hutch? As far as I know, no. And hmm. all the stuff that I came across, I didn't see anything. Maybe there's someone who's done a, a much more significant dive on on the ins and outs of what they were doing, maybe talking about it in 1982 or something. Um, but I don't think it was really something that uh, uh, Paul Michael Glazer wanted to get into. He wanted to go back into the, the direction and maybe pursue that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And after the tumult that his dissatisfaction with the show caused, I really don't think there'd be much kickback to him not wanting to do it it wouldn't be like well come on you got to do it be like "Mm, yeah i I remember that too and no i don't think that's a good idea either (laughs) yeah i know everybody has a different take you know and that's why it's hard sometimes to get some people like say you know tina louise on gilligan's island or something it's like been there done that you know yeah okay yeah (laughs) yeah well just like Um, what you were saying about the brady bunch variety show which version yeah you know (laughs) um but uh they did reunite at least for one of these autograph shows because i actually saw both of them i did not get their autographs because you know the thing of those, those autograph shows oh. there's like 50 people there that you can get autographs and everybody's wanting 10 to 50 bucks a piece for them so i'm like okay i gotta pick and choose here okay yeah. it's nice to see that paul michael glazer <laughs> and uh, david soul are posing for photographs but i'm not gonna pay 300 dollars to pose with them i'm sorry i'm a, no. i wasn't that big of a fan but i mean yeah. have they gotten together you know even casually i mean they seem to have chemistry on the show are they good friends or as I understand, I don't know how much they get in, in touch with one another or anything. Mm-hmm. I know they have very different uh, interests in life now. Um, and I'm sure health concerns, uh, just, I mean, just as a matter of course, rather than anything, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not hinting at anything. I'm just right. saying just in general, I mean, uh, at at a certain point in your life, you start kind of going, I don't know if I want to jump on the grass and spin around like that and get into a fight scene with another 50 year old. Don't know if I want to do that. Um, But I've seen them multiple times at different uh, conventions, whether it's on YouTube or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, At one point they were semi-regular as long as, I guess, as long as they could all be in the same place at the same time and no one had any, some, any sort of, uh, schedule conflict um, because you don't it's, it's almost like you want to see them both or them with Huggy or anything else that you almost don't want to see them individually right so why you know it's almost like I can see that uh, promoters would go how can we sell tickets to just one yeah you know so if you have Paul Michael Glazer Antonio Vargas and uh, David Soule that's those are the three you need the the signatures from yeah you know so at least they're not adverse to hanging out together or anything like that sounds as far like. as i know they live yeah. in different necks of the woods yeah uh i don't i don't know for for sure but yeah. uh I, i'm sure that they still speak yeah from time to time. <laughs> i mean yeah. at, at a, like i keep saying at a certain age you start wanting to do certain things differently 
And I think that those guys, regardless of whatever um, may or may not have happened on a TV show 40 years ago, I don't know if it really means as much, it, you know, the, the bad stuff means as much as the good stuff does. Right. And um, I see on Facebook every once in a while, someone will post a picture of the both of them that's not especially new, but it's not especially old either. Mm -hmm. And so, the, and this was, I'll say that is prior to COVID, I'm sure, but uh, they were at least doing cons together, maybe little appearances where uh, I've seen, I've been to a couple of con appearances where they have not just the personalities, but the famous cars, mm -hmm. you know? So you would have the two stars of Starsky and Hutch and the Grand Torino when you would have the tall man and the phantasm car and, uh, the Ghostbusters Ecto One, and you know maybe a stunt performer from that one. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but it, I think that there's so much of a tie of Starsky and Hutch mm -hmm. that you, I don't want to see them separately. Right. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and I want to think that they get along well, and I can't. I just can't imagine that at this point they're harboring too many grudges. Mm -hmm. about anything yeah i mean certainly not something that you know i don't like it when you said this in public why did you say right, this? Right. things like that after a while just don't mean as much anymore. yeah well they they always struck me as that they got along because you know hmm. i don't remember but it's not like today's internet instant what gratification but yeah. you know when they had all the hollywood gossip magazines it didn't seem like they appeared much at least for you know fighting with each other i mean you know they always seem to put those every star oh they're having relationship problems with their wives or whatever but not mm -hmm. with each other yeah know, so. that's i don't think from what i remember and all i'm really dragging from is seeing tv news reports channel 7 news yeah. and it was almost a nightly thing that paul michael glazer said this paul michael glazer said this <laughs> You know, is this the end of Starsky and Hutch? And and at one point, I think he said yes. Mm -hmm. um, I can't source that, so maybe that's just something I'm coming up with to sound dramatic. But <laughs> it's uh, he he very much made his his dissatisfaction very very clear. Yeah. And as a fan, that kind of sunk into my chest. Right. And so I was like, yeah, you're doing it because you signed on the dotted and you took the money and you're really miserable, but you're doing yeah. um but for both of them i can't say that there's a ton of episodes that they're not making an effort maybe yeah. one or two that is kind of like mm, yeah i don't <laughs> think paul was really i don't think he was having it that day yeah. um but there are other uh times especially the last episode i thought it was really well done i mean if that had to be the last episode not that I would have wanted it to end, but then again, as class of 77, I never thought I would have said this. I'm ready for Star Wars to go away for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would have wanted the fifth season, even though it would have been, you know, maybe a disaster. Um, <laughs> but if you're going to have a show end and not, I mean, the, the standards were different than they are now, like what you were saying about uh, immediate gratification and everything has to mean event and everything has to mean everything. And did you just see this ending? And when so-and-so said this, it was a callback to the first episode. <laughs> yeah. There's something really cool about 
that scene where all Huggy Starsky, who's, who notes saying he's on four painkillers, Hutch and Dobie, all of them are clearly drunk. <laughs> and they're just having kicking back in Sorsky's hospital room. And it's just, it's a perfect ending to, you know, four very heavy dudes, I think is what Huggy says. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the fire sprinkler rains down on him, which is like <laughs> Murphy's law for that, that universe. Of course mm-hmm. they had that happen. I'll have to check out the episodes again. I know I can, you can get all four seasons in one little box set now, which is great. So yeah, I just, I just haven't um, invested in that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that there are, whether it's DVD or whether it's on demand, I think they're pretty much the same thing. Um, whereas with MASH, if you watch them in, in general syndication now, they have about five minutes trimmed out of them. Mm. So with the MASH book, we watched every single DVD to get every single detail we could. Mm-hmm. Uh, and plus it also fills some holes as to why is that funny? Why is that a sight gag all of a sudden? <laughs> well, because five minutes were cut out. And if you saw those, you would know why they're saluting funny or something like that. Mm-hmm. And with Starsky and Hutch, I think there's only one episode uh, and I think it's called Quadrophenia, Quadromania, something along those lines. Starsky is an undercover uh, cab driver because someone's killing cab drivers. Yeah. And there's a part in it that the bad guy, spoilers, <laughs> slams Starsky's uh, head against the driver's side window. Mm-hmm. And the next shot you see is just him leaving his sidearm behind and just sort of like stumbling out of the car. But mm-hmm. they cut, it's only a few seconds. I found, I found it online <laughs> where in the original, I guess the original first airing, he really gets his head slammed against the window. <laughs> the window cracks and you see it in the reverse shot, but I mean, he really gets hit hard. Mm. There's this big blood spatter. Mm. And so that's why he's coming out of the car stumbling other than, you know, it's just like, why did you forget your gun? Why are you acting? So it's like, why are you acting like you've been concussed? Even though I think the, that was the original air, all the other airings just basically show this mechanical hand coming at him, mm. uh, which doesn't really express it's, mannequin's hand spray painted silver it's supposed to be scary i guess (laughs) uh and it was just science fictiony enough because you know don't forget the six million dollar man was kind of doing some (laughs) similar things odd science fiction tropes in that as well that weren't especially realistic yeah um bigfoot (laughs) yeah bigfoot that is yeah i didn't want to go there but yeah (laughs) that's the obvious one that's why uh yeah and the ice tunnel from the universal studios tour yeah Yeah. you gotta have that uh so (laughs) that's really i mean they did over the last two seasons in particular they did play down the gunplay quite a bit Mm -hmm. um if there's fist fights it's pretty much to the point 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, although there's the one episode where they're playing blind man's bluff in a cabin mm-hmm. where a hostage they've rescued turns the power off, turns it on, and the guys are in different poses assaulting the bad guys in a number of different ways. Like I think Hutch hits one with the telephone, mm-hmm. and this is a line landline telephone, not. You know, I know that some people don't know what that means, but, you know, it's I think he says telephone and holds it to the bad guy and then smacks him with the <laughs> the base unit. Mm-hmm. So. You had kind of like give or take, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it was they kind of played down the gunplay, but he's still hitting someone really hard with a phone or, you know, something like that. Interesting. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Um, now this question kind of applies to both books and then we'll kind of go into mash a little bit more. Um, so per episode, uh, did you have a fixed amount of questions that you asked or is just whatever came up? So some episodes are heavy on questions. Some are kind of light. Okay. Exactly. Um, like for specifically mash, some of the episodes that are remember when episodes Mm -hmm. or, um, episodes like the interview or the interview part two where it's done in black and white uh and it's a it's a radical departure from what i think a lot of people were expecting from the show at that time um it's really hard to just like with child abuse you it's hard to uh want to ask questions when someone's lost the use of their hand and they're a piano player you know stuff like that or do I want to make a question about how radar gets wounded? No, not really. <laughs> um, so there were some things, especially one of my favorite episodes is nightmares. And unfortunately, I don't think I did a ton of questions of that because it's so dramatic. And it almost feels like you're undercutting the drama of these surreal fears of these people we've gotten to know over the past several years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, uh, I remember my mother was up in arms about that episode because what are they doing? Mm-hmm. And especially the long shot of Margaret in that beautiful dress standing in a field covered in blood did not go over well with my mom. I thought it looked <laughs> great because, you know, I guess even when I was younger, I was into the, like the, the scary horror stuff. Um, but as much as I wanted to, there's not a lot of uh there's not a lot of meat there mm-hmm. um and we did an overage of questions with the mash book in particular because some of some of those episodes are just so classic that mm-hmm. we would write 40 questions for one episode and go well that's not gonna yeah <laughs> uh so we just try to do um as much of a gradient of, of easy, medium, hard as we could do. Um, but it wasn't purposefully, we're only going to do 10 mm-hmm. because you would have episodes that you would have, no, I want to do another 10 questions on just this one. Right. Uh, because it's a great, it's, it's one of my favorite episodes. It's funny. Fans like it. Let's just do this one. And so again, it was the enthusiasm for what I was doing, hoping that mm-hmm. if the fans had any issue with, well, how come there's only five instead of 25? <laughs> That's why. I tried to get into it a little bit in the, in the forwards in both of the books, um, but I tried to not 
be rule master. And it's, and I tried to stress, this is all for fun. There's no points. There's no, you know, we're not competing here. It's just, <laughs> we're, we're all reading this because we love the show. And maybe I had no idea the sniper fired X amount of shots at radar. You know, it, uh, there was one person, actually one person told me on Facebook that uh, they got the Starsky and Hutch book and they said they couldn't wait for family game night. And that was, you could not have given me a better compliment um, because that's exactly what it's for. Mm-hmm. Now on the mash book, um, with <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, the same question that I asked on Starsky and Hutch, why mash? I mean, well, uh, there, <laughs> it, it was a culturally significant show, mm-hmm. you know, just like uh, there are certain things that change the world around them. Mm-hmm. MASH was one of those shows. Um, and even though a lot of detractors will say, well, yeah, but they had a, a laugh track, wasn't their idea. Mm-hmm. And as they went on and became more popular, they took control of that laugh track and sort of pulling it down a lot more. Uh, which is ironic because then people started complaining about how dramatic it had gotten. <laughs> uh, and But I grew up with them. I don't remember a time that MASH was not on, whether it's first run or in perpetual repeats. Right. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I did it with my son because we could also loop in his grandmother because there's this goes into generation after generation after generation. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of shows don't do that. And I think that there's a common ground, unfortunately, on the understanding of war, of conflict, um, that a police procedural may not be able to comment on quite as much in terms of some real uh, nihilistic, can you believe this is what the world is like, kind of (laughs) commentary. But couching it in the insanity of war Mm -hmm. and using a lot of real life things that happen in mash units or combat or combat physicians or whatever medics. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing was that it didn't seem like the cast, even though you would hear about, you know, rumblings about, you know, Gary Berghoff and, you know, he wasn't happy, <laughs> but that didn't make me not want to watch the show. Yeah. Um, and it didn't seem like they, it seemed like they were being very professionals by the, by the end of it, they were being very professional about their approach. Uh, and they were going to see this through no matter what, mm-hmm. even though the last season, last two seasons got, like I was talking about Starsky and Hutch, the wheels were really wobbling. The plane, the plane was starting <laughs> to lose its yeah, wings. Yeah. Uh, but you still have, great performances, great uh, chemistry in an ensemble cast that I really can't come up with one in a similar arc of time that you hear people talking about the chemistry. Yeah. You know, or you hear about people being friends well after the show. Uh, There's uh, a story that uh, Loretta Swit tells in one of the specials that they were talking about farewell, goodbye, goodbye, farewell, and I'm amen. Mm-hmm. Goodbye, farewell, and amen. 
I'll get it right one of these times. The final episode. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah, the final episode. Uh, well, there's the final episode in the sitcom, and then there's the final episode that's True. the TV movie. True. Um, but there's she's at odds with Winchester over this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, she really loves it. She borrowed it from him, but she really she wants to keep it, and he's being a real hard ass about it, and he's he really wants it back. And David David Augen Stiers was a very private man he didn't do a whole lot of uh personal appearances he didn't do a whole lot of socializing with his co-stars it just wasn't what he did and at one point loretta had asked him for his phone number to keep in touch afterwards and he kind of just he didn't like refuse but he kind of politely disinclined uh (laughs) declined it and in the last episode Mm -hmm. uh he, it's their last scene together and Margaret has given him the book, you know, saying here, have it back. I don't want it. You selfish. Mm-hmm. And he ends up giving it back to her and on camera, this was not planned. He opens the book. And I always wondered why would he do that? And Loretta Swit ex- uh, explained he had written his phone number in the book. Interesting. Hmm. And given it to her. <laughs> And that's why the reaction that she has is so genuine. And it's just this little thing. And I think everybody pretty much figured, oh, see, Winchester's not a heartless bastard. He's a nice guy. <laughs> but now there's even a deeper layer yeah. to that whole thing of this effort, this, you know, less thing on camera. And this is, I'm giving you this. And it catches her, it's such a sweet expression on her face um that's that's and that's i i just had to go into that because of uh the camaraderie of the chemistry um and the enthusiasm they had for for wanting to do that kind of show they buried a real time capsule Mm -hmm. it wasn't just in the last 30 minute episode they really did Mm -hmm. uh it was dug up three days later but (laughs) uh or it's or somewhere around that time when they were like what is this no one knows what happened to it, hmm. but it was dug up by construction, hmm. breaking apart whatever part of uh, that exterior set was. Hmm. <laughs> it's interesting that you say that, you know, in comparison, you know, because I was asking you questions about Starsky and Hutch, how they get along and stuff like that. But it's interesting on MASH that uh, over the uh, 11 seasons, they had so many cast changes, yet it seemed to still kind of gel um i was pretty young when the show first went on the air it was 72 so i was about five years old so i probably never really noticed it until about the time where the original major shift was where mclean stevenson left and uh wayne rogers left and uh so you know i caught those episodes many years later kind of you know whenever it went into syndication so you know i did it wasn't so noticeable but uh were you someone that watched it from the very beginning was that kind of jarring to have suddenly oh now we got new people on here were they going to be any good (laughs) you know yeah you know i'll tell you there's culturally there's a couple of points that are pretty interesting because that was on was was that when i was in grade school and people in grade school, my schoolmates, were talking about MASH. Mm-hmm. And there was the episode when Henry died. Mm-hmm. 
we all talked about it. There was the episode where Hawkeye says, son of a bitch. Mm -hmm. (gasps) Did you hear what Alan Alda said? Mm -hmm. You know, and the nightmare episode, which was basically just a short horror film. (laughs) And I think that's, I don't ever remember it not being on the air. I don't remember anyone, whether it's my schoolmates or my mom talking to her friend on the, on the phone and outrage about what they did with Henry. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I watched it, as I grew up, because it has never been off the air, mm-hmm. I started understanding things a little differently as you will from when you watch something when you're seven, than when you do when you're in your forties or whatever. Um, but even now, the stuff that they talk about is still relevant to our world. And I'm not just talking about warfare. I'm talking about just people, the, the human condition in all of its, in all of its traits. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I mean, uh, did, did the, were the transitions for you watching it as a viewer jarring to you or did you accept uh, Colonel Potter coming in or, uh, you know, BJ Honeycutt coming in, you or, know, you know, it, it just, you know, I only experienced, I guess, when Winchester came in, I said, what is this guy? You know, but then I liked him. So I was okay. And then, you know, I was kind of sad when Radar left only from the standpoint that, you know, he was the guy, the only guy that was in the film that's still on the show. And it's like, you know, but, you know, once he left, it was kind of like, well, you know, it's like, yeah, Gary Berghoff wanted to do something else, I guess. I don't know. You know, so, you know, Um, it's kind of hard for me to say, because I was like what I was saying, I was experiencing it in a very immediate way. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I was upset when Henry died and when Trapper left. Mm -hmm. But it was only until Radar left when and when Gary Berghoff was was kind of voicing his displeasure with the show. I kind of was like, it's okay if, if you leave, I, mm-hmm. you know, you're clearly not happy, you know, and there are some episodes he's not even in. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, that was just sort of like to lessen the aggravation and it, which is, I think probably a different thing now because that's a 24 episode season rather than now it's not unheard of for uh, a half hour comedy to have 10 episodes in a season. Right. Um, so I really just sort of experienced it in a linear way, um, even though someone getting killed in the first, I think it's the third season. Yeah, uh, that was a pretty hard blow, but I seem to have taken it better than my mom did. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm, um, I'm actually kind of shocked, but I guess it's because of the the uh, appeal, I guess, for lack of a better term, just the appeal of the show overall. Because, I mean, that seems like, you know, that ending with Henry uh, Blake getting killed and everything and uh, Wayne Rogers also leaving the series at the same time. It's like a double whammy that that would would have the fourth season probably would have been the end normally you know it's like well let's continue on oh these people don't work like uh similar examples would be like chico and the man chico you know unfortunately uh uh, he killed himself in real life and you know then they tried to carry on another season sanford and son uh they both left the show and they tried to carry on as sanford arms and it didn't really work at all and uh so you know usually those type of major casting changes like that are, are the 
death knell of the show, but it didn't seem to happen here. What's your take on it? Why it didn't? I think because when you had people replacing other people, you had Mike Farrell mm-hmm. and you had David Ogden Stiers, which those two personalities are completely different from what we'd seen before. Trapper was a family man, but he didn't act like it. BJ's a, a family man who stumbles. So he's the imperfect husband, which was not something you saw much of on TV back then. And a lot of people did not like that. Um, And then with Colonel Potter, he was regular army. He was going to be the the authority, but he had seen it all before. He's, as a matter of fact, when he calls everybody into his office, especially Klinger, he flat out says, it ain't going to go with me. Yeah. (laughs) So that's, that personality then you've got charles winchester who's very likely a better surgeon than pierce or honeycutt or mm-hmm. potter you know or mcintyre <laughs> um which but he's an ass yes <laughs> but i liked him for that. but i like him because <laughs> yeah, the yeah. thing is, is i think it's his intelligence that yeah. saves him because yeah. even though he's a prude mm-hmm. he seems to be sort of self-aware as he stays longer as a fish yep. out of water, he starts to become a little bit more self-aware and going, wow. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm a piece of work. I better, you know, <laughs> I've seen this part of myself close up. I've seen uh, at one point he develops a love interest uh, mm-hmm. who is a very liberal woman and he has to break up with her at the end of the episode because his parents wouldn't understand. I don't think that's something that you could have pulled anyone else into Mm -hmm. and i think that it just happened that they cast the right people and it took long enough for the seams to start to show in the storytelling um that you could really enjoy the additional performances of these replacements Mm -hmm. who ended up becoming beloved characters Mm -hmm. and the thing about that you said radar because gary burgoff was in the movie as well as in the tv show he was a completely different character in the movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and in the first, in the pilot episode, we see a little bit of that. But he starts, and I, as I understand it, it was a conscious decision of his to move away from the scummy version of Radar, the, the <laughs> kind of greasy aspect of him. Uh, almost, un, you know, the underworld was represented by this kind of skeezy company clerk. Uh, but if you have him be this kid, literally a kid taken from the farm mm-hmm. into a war. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. And I think Mike Farrell was the one in an interview who said that Gary Berghoff very well could have been the strongest actor on that in that entire cast because you believed him as Radar. If you saw anyone else act like that, you'd go, come on. This isn't this. You can't be this aw shucks. You can't. It doesn't work, but Gary Berghoff made it work. Yeah. Just like, you know, uh, Jamie Farr sold us on Klinger, mm-hmm. who was a one episode character. Right. And then wasn't because, you know, <laughs> Jamie Farr, uh, for all of his uh, acting, the his entire acting uh, resume, uh, the stuff that he does on, on MASH, you have to believe Klinger is going to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. 
you know, um, even if you don't necessarily believe that he would have gotten away with it for as long as he would have. <laughs> uh, but at one point, he just starts dressing in, you know, fatigues. It's just, it's his, his usual, he gets out of the dresses and figures, well, okay, I'm going to be a grown up about this, I guess, and yeah. stay the course. Yeah. And he gets, you know, he gets married and everything. He actually gets a happy ending, which, you know, a rough kid from Toledo, would he necessarily? Yeah. Uh, so especially, I mean, he grew up in a, in a pretty rough neck of the woods by the sound of it. Mm-hmm. And so it's the strength of all these characters, even characters you wouldn't consider leads like uh, Klinger, like Radar, mm-hmm. but without him, you would notice him. Yeah. Now, similar to the Starsky and Hutch book, I have to ask, so did you delve into questions on the movie or after MASH or just the 11 seasons? I remember after MASH, I'm not reliving that. Okay. I've done my time. <laughs> I watched that show. Yeah. That's as far as it's going. Okay. Um, I'm sure that there is on some YouTube channel that there is the pilot of Walter. <laughs> uh, I can avoid that too, I think. Um, and uh, I just... Uh, <laughs> Oh, there's no wrong, nothing wrong with sticking with the 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 series. That's what really it's, made it a classic. If they just yeah. did the movie, it probably would be remembered because it's a classic movie, but not in the same way. Right. Um, and you know, I don't think they would have had like all the the mash novels and everything else had there not been the TV show. It probably would have been the movie, maybe one or two novels, and that'd be it. But it you know, it became a whole industry of different things you know yeah i do touch on that in the in a forward to the mash book and i kind of go through the evolution of first it was a book and then it was a movie and then it was uh and i touch on the um the other shows i don't know if i mentioned walter because it was never aired so i didn't know if i wanted to bring that into canon so to speak i don't even know if i know about that explain briefly it was uh ostensibly it was going to be a pilot for radar to do a sitcom or a maybe a dramedy kind of thing where uh i guess maybe in the vein of the waltons hmm. uh walter would be on his farm with his mom i guess Interesting. um <laughs> and it was supposed to be just and i guess it wasn't aired i guess i guess it or it had aired once but i hear two different versions each time i i delve into it online so who knows roughly what year was it uh well it would have been 83 i guess okay so it was after it was was, yeah 82 83 somewhere around around and i guess i'm ignoring the other spinoff which is trapper john md you know yeah yeah. i don't i don't go into that i don't go into the movie this is just for the tv show but i do talk about um the origins of the book uh and as the success kind of snowballed uh i tried to give at least a sense of some depth without getting boring mm-hmm. because there's a a point with being a fan that i can get really really geeky and <laughs> get really down with what i'm talking about and that's when you start hearing people snore <laughs> so i just wanted to kind of i wanted to keep the forward in each book very brief i needed to do a little bit more with mash because the, the book and then the movie and books. Um, but I don't get into 
too much of, uh, you know, who didn't like what in the show and all that other stuff. It's just basically the evolution of what we come to know as MASH. Right. In all of its forms. Um, I guess uh, I want to touch briefly on the other books you've written and then just ask you... I'll ask this first and then you can delve into your fiction books. Um, uh, so at this point, are there any other TV shows that you want to do a similar type of trivia book that you're contemplating? And you, you don't have to reveal it if it's kind of a secret, but you know, are there others? I'll say that. I've got a couple kicking around. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to do them um, because I love being part of the culture. I love being even whatever kind of a voice I am in that culture. I enjoy that uh, because it does seem to come from a place of something that's a little less confrontational. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to do a little bit of like MASH and Starsky and Hutch because they were such cultural things for me. Mm-hmm. MASH has a wider thing. Um, but I would have to look into certain other, whether it's sitcoms or dramas I'd have to really see if I can make uh, a trivia quiz book about this or that, um, because I wouldn't want to do it if it's too short of a show. And then, well, yeah, but it had the second other show that nobody liked. (laughs) But if I do trivia questions about that, well, that'll pad out the book. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Because A, I don't want to inflict that on myself, let alone the reader. And uh, I remember some of those things in the 70s and 80s, and they sucked. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'd have to be a little bit more uh, specific about my goals, really. And they take, they do take time to do. Mm -hmm. um, And that's going to take away time from my fiction, which I kind of want to do a little more concentrated on for this next year-ish. Uh, but you never know. Okay. Um, just delving briefly into your fiction. So how many books have you written? Um, I think it's about including the scribes of the speculative fiction series, which are all my interviews that I've done over the years with authors, directors. It's probably about 10. Mm. Um, some of those are short story collections. There's two short story collections and there's a poetry book. Okay. Uh, so I don't really consider those novels. Okay. Uh, but in books, just in a general way of referring to it, fifteen-ish. Mm. And what genre do you usually stick with, or do you go all over the map too? <laughs> I started out going kind of all over the map with short fiction, but the more I wrote, the more I realized it was either dark fantasy, horror, or science fiction. And science fiction could be anything from cyberpunk to Star Wars. It it doesn't really have as much of a demarcation point as as horror versus dark fantasy, which are two different genres to me. My I think my stuff falls more into dark fantasy mm-hmm. more than horror, um, but they all come from the same place. Is that what you enjoy writing the best, or are you just like every type of book you've done? <laughs> no, it's. If I've written a story or a novel, it's because I've wanted to write that in that particular genre. I can't force myself to write. I can't go, 
this will be great. I'll market it this way. Uh, a horror <laughs> novel based in this state during this time frame. Brilliance. I can't do it. I can't, I can't write to a word count. I've never been able to do that. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I write shorter fiction than what at the, at the time, uh, which was all print, the internet didn't exist. Um, you couldn't submit an 840 word short, short to cemetery dance. You just couldn't do it. <laughs> um, and that's not any judgment on any of the publications. It's just, I couldn't do it. Uh, so if I was writing about a starship, I'm writing about a starship because I want to, you know, that's what I want to write about. I can't do it with too much intention. Just like as when I was a musician, I can't intentionally write a song to have a hook. Mm -hmm. If it has a, a cool riff or whatever, it does. But I can't sit down and pull something commercial out of my head. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not saying there's anything even at fault for being able to do that. I wish mm -hmm. I could be a more... Uh, <laughs> I would have more weapons in my stash that way if I could go, no, I'm going to write like so-and-so, I'm going to do this. Yeah. But I've never been able to do it. Mm -hmm. On your fiction, do you always have uh, an idea or a plot or do you do outlines or do you just start, oh, I'm just going to write? <laughs> <laughs> um, as long as, it, long ago when I first started, as long as I had a general idea, I would just write the manuscript and then over one or two drafts following that, tighten it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, then as I wrote more and more, I started seeing the synopsis or the chapter breakdown or whatever as more of an asset. Mm -hmm. So I became a little bit more uh, intentional with what I was looking for in a roadmap. It didn't feel like I was cheating anymore. It felt like I was uh, <laughs> honoring my, uh, uh, my creative cycle mm -hmm. uh, by letting it evolve. Because if you just stop, you'd stop writing relevant things. And I didn't want to do that because horror, science fiction, all of that, you can write about a lot of, like what I've said before, the human condition in those genres and, and really examine it in ways unique to those genres. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't want to give doing that up. Mm -hmm. But now, sometimes I like writing just a, ghost, a, a scary ghost story or, you know, it's about cyber motorcycles. You know, I just, because that's, it's a space opera because I love space opera. Mm -hmm. But do you have a, a like a particular uh, story idea in mind a lot of times? Or do you just kind of, I'm just going to do something in horror and we'll see where this light leads. You know, um, or do you have like an ending in mind and then you kind of write to the ending? Some people write that way. You know, I mean, there's no right or wrong. You know, it's just how you yeah. tend to write. <laughs> the process, my process tends to be kind of convoluted in that. I don't think I've done the same thing twice in an approach of writing, especially as I've written more and more, I plan more and more and more. Mm -hmm. um, and that seems like, well, yeah, of course you would, but in some ways you almost simplify because mm -hmm. you're making the story clearer, even though it's gathering more branches. Right. And I, uh, I just think that if I'm able to do that and not write it according to what I think is going to sell, mm -hmm. 
that makes it a little easier for me to, to get through. And so when now my process is, I just kind of go into receive mode. Mm-hmm. It's like my intuition says, I think we're going to do this a little bit. And if things, if scenes start coming into me, whether it's just someone I've never met before saying a piece of dialogue that really means something important to somebody else I don't know about yet, then that's when I start writing stuff down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like the next couple of things that I'm, I'm planning on doing, I think it's going to be pretty plotted out before I start even doing a first draft. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, the only reason I ask is because it's not that I haven't ri- written fiction. I've never written a, like a fiction novel. You know, I've, my fiction is usually like <laughs> a comic book story or something like that, where it's heavy image driven and, and you know, not necessarily a lot of dialogue, you know. And um, so I was just kind of curious. You know, but even on my nonfiction books where I'm doing a history of something, you know, as I look back on it, it's like it depends on the book, on the approach I've taken. You know, it's just, you know, how much history is there, how much, you know, research I have to do if yeah. I can just kind of just bleh, <laughs> or not. You know? Yeah. And you start to learn what you're going to include early on. Yeah. Because if it's one of those things where, yeah, I could tell someone's backstory, but uh, yeah, he's in the, he's only in like a quarter of the book. Yeah. And yeah, he moves a plot along, but I don't need to put that much effort into this. Yeah. Um, something that I learned is that it's all in subtext and that people are going to read what they read into it, no matter what you write, um, whether you lay out the time of day, who's there and what they do. Someone's going to say it happens at night, doesn't it? And that something <laughs> doesn't happen that they said does. Um, And I've noticed that in friends who have read books that I've read and they've told me about, yeah, I'm really enjoying that part when so-and-so does this. And I'm going, he doesn't do that in that part of the book. He doesn't do that at all. So people can read into certain things. So I try not to beat anyone over the head with a theme or anything. I think that's more, you kind of do a disservice to what the fiction part of if you go in saying, this is the story about this, it becomes more about your agenda rather than the characters in the story. Well, I think that's pretty much all I have for today. Um, okay. I guess the, the question I always have now at this point in the show is just, uh, what are you working on now? Um, I'm going to ask a bunch of questions here. Um, If you make any personal appearances, uh, if people can get in contact with you, websites and how they can order your books. So have the fun. You can can just search on my name on Amazon. Make special attention that you're spelling Christopher in the way I do, because there's another Christopher DeRose that is an author. We're not the same guy. Mm. Um, And... um, For, you can find me with that same name on Facebook, uh, YouTube. My uh, ambient music channel is on YouTube. Um, I'm always writing different sketches for music, but I'm writing more prose than I am anything else. So you will see more music eventually, just not quite yet. And there's a lot already up there. 
Um, you can follow me on Instagram. I love that. Um, it's sort of like a less garbage fire version of uh, Facebook, at least for me. Um, and uh, you can um, find any other contact on that that, that you can, uh, any sort of other uh, contact information. Like if you want to interview me, you can find me on Facebook. Um, and uh, the two things that I'm working on right now, I'm doing the final, the not final draft yet. I want it to be, but it's not going to be of the second book in the Valentine series, which is a series I'm really, really happy with. It's something that I can just kind of go nuts and do whatever I want to do. And as long as I don't go too far off the rails, I, I can produce something that it's, it's something that I'm writing simply because I want to. Um, so, but ideally that'll be out in December. Book two will be out in December. Um, the book that I can say something about is it is horror. Um, it's, I try to do something different than what I've done previously uh, with each thing I do. Sometimes I succeed, sometimes I don't. Hopefully this is gonna be a little bit of a break from that. Hmm. So it'll be more horror than dark fantasy. And any personal appearances coming up in the next couple months or anything? Nope, but if okay. <laughs> anyone wants me to appear, I'd be happy to. I'm in California, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I, some I'm people they happy to help. do book signings and different things like that. Um, I would love uh, to do that. Yeah, I yeah. do, I do drawings every once in a while on Facebook or Instagram, mm -hmm. uh, where I'll give away a copy of a book, um, and I'll sign it, you know, personalize it or whatever. Um, but if there's anything, if there's any signings that anyone wants me to be a part of, I'm more than happy to to talk about it. Very good. Okay. Well, I thank you, Christopher, for being my special guest today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And that, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm getting all choked up about it. <laughs> uh, that that uh, wraps it up for another episode of Fun Ideas Podcast. And we'll see you next time. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Christopher DeRose, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 192 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night. Mutant sex monsters.